Let's pray this morning as we come to God's word. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God. We thank you, God, that you've spoken. You're not, you haven't left us in the dark, Lord. It's not a mystery who you are or what you think. You're the mystery revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. The living God, the eternal creator. And we long to serve you, Lord. We want to know you. We want to know who you are and know your heart for us and to follow hard after you, Lord. And we thank you, God, that you've given us your written word to lead us to the living word, the person of Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, we pray that this would not just be an exercise of the intellect this morning as we come to your word. You rebuked the Pharisees because they clung to the word of God and failed to see who you were. And so, God, we pray that we would not make that same mistake, but that we would come to the written word and serve the living word, Jesus Christ. And so, God, we, th- we thank you for the word this morning. We pray, God, that you would open our hearts. Uh, by, by your spirit, we pray, God, that we would have soft hearts to what you want to say to us this morning. And so, God, we give you this time. We ask for your spirit's anointing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. If, hey, if you're... Uh, here for the first time or wondering where we've been at, we, we've been doing this series through the book of Exodus. We've come to ex- Exodus chapter 8. Um, we're going to continue to cruise on here. And what we're going to start to see in Exodus chapter 8 is the plagues that the Lord, the judgments that the Lord is going to begin to send upon the nation of Egypt. It's a picture of his judgment, his future judgments that are going to come against, against the entire world. In the book of Revelation, it speaks about this. This happened. It's reality. It happened in history. But it's also a foreshadow of something that is going to happen in the future over the face of the whole earth. And um, we've seen through the book of Exodus that um, Moses and his brother Aaron have been sent to the to on behalf of the people of Israel to the nation of Egypt to function as deliverers for them in slavery. We know that Pharaoh had under his thumb about two and a half million Hebrew slaves who were his workforce. They were building his cities and doing his job. And uh, these people were under the heavy hand of oppression, of slavery. Life was brutal. And they began to call out upon the Lord. And God heard them. He visited them. And he sent Moses to them to be Uh, their deliverer, and Moses went before uh, Pharaoh with this message. He said, the Lord says this, let my people go that they may worship me, that they may serve me. And Pharaoh's response was this. He said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And so, you know, began these power encounters between Moses and Pharaoh, between uh, the Lord and the world, in a sense, between um, the people of God and those who are, were not the people of God. And God began to reveal to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians, and really even to his own people, the people of Israel, who he is, the Lord. And so uh, we come to this, we're going to see just God bringing judgments upon Pharaoh and bringing judgments upon the nation of Egypt. And In fact, you know, in these judgments, what we see is that God is actually judging um, the gods that the Egyptians served. 
In fact, it says that in Numbers chapter 33, verse 4, a very interesting verse, it says that on their gods, the Lord executed judgment. And so God is coming to this polytheistic culture, a culture that serves many gods, a culture that bows the knee to creation rather than to the creator. And God is bringing his judgments against uh, the gods that they serve. And so in Exodus chapter 7, where we were last week, we saw the first plague, okay? The first plague where the Lord turned uh, the Nile to blood. And um, following that, there was, well, there's a series here of nine plagues that are followed by one final devastating one, which is called the Passover, the death of the firstborn. Now, the first nine plagues, really, I kind of, in my mind, put the first nine plagues together, and then the tenth one, the Passover, it's like, stands alone all by itself because it's so devastating uh, to the people of Egypt and to the world. And so if you take the first uh, nine plagues, what you see is they actually bust up into three triads, three, three, three sets of threes. And there's certain patterns that happen in each of them. And so in the sets of threes, it kind of works like this. During the first two, the Lord sends Moses and he says, give Pharaoh a warning. So out of nine plagues, Pharaoh gets six warnings. But on the third, the sixth, and the ninth plague, there's no warning. The Lord just says, Moses, do it. Strike it. Stretch out your hand. Do it. No warning. And this judgment comes upon, upon uh, the world. You know, it's kind of interesting, even in the first three plagues, it's actually Aaron who's instructed. Each time Moses instructs Aaron, he says, Aaron, you do it. Strike it. Stretch out your hand. You know, use the rod of the Lord, whatever it is. But come, you know, from plague four on, it's all Moses. It's all Moses. And one other thing I kind of, you kind of see that's kind of interesting is that in the first plague on each of the triads, plague number one and plague number four and plague number seven, the Lord says, I want you to go in the morning and I want you to meet Moses. I want you to meet Pharaoh early while he's at the river. And there's actually the sense there that, that Pharaoh was going and he was bringing offerings before his gods. And, and so that's where, the Lord, that's where the Lord sends Moses to meet him, to bring judgment upon what's happening. And so we saw the first plague recorded at the, the second part of Exodus chapter 7. Last week, the waters of the Nile were turned to blood. Any water that was sourced from the Nile River in the nation of Egypt was turned to blood. If they filled their canals or their, or their ponds from the Nile River, it turned to blood. If they had pitchers or jars of water that were already in their homes, sitting on the kitchen counter or wherever it was, and it came from the Nile River, it turned to blood. And the Bible tells us that the land, uh, it, it stunk, it stank that the fish of the Nile River died, that the Egyptians were weary in their need and in their longing and their looking for water because the water was undrunk, undrinkable. And amazingly, in this true power encounter uh, that we're going to see again here this morning, the sorcerers, the magicians of Pharaoh, uh, come before Pharaoh and Moses and they duplicate this miracle that the Lord has performed. They too turn water to blood. But the crazy thing is, is they don't bring relief for the people. Instead, they, they take sources of water that aren't from the Nile, that are still good, and they wreck those as well. And that's kind of like what Satan does. He's a duplicator. 
he, he, he's a copier, but he never brings relief. He just adds the weight. He brings more burden and corrupts even other things that are good. Now, the Egyptians actually worshipped the Nile River. They had at least four gods associated with uh, the Nile River. And God uh, was judging the Nile River really judging their gods that they bowed down to so that they would understand that they were no gods at all. That there's only one God. There's only one God. And the Lord said to them, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Now at the end of chapter 7, it says this. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. It says this. The Lord said to Moses... Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, think about this, he says, I will plague your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. How do you like that? Those of you who love to cook. Nasty. Verse 4, the frogs shall come upon you and on your people and on your servants. Verse 5, and the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand. I want you to pay attention to how many times they're told to stretch out the hand, to stretch out the rod. Uh, stretch, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and they covered the land of Egypt. Bizarre, right? Frogs, what's the whole deal here? The Egyptians served a goddess who had the body of a woman but the head of a frog. Lovely. Get a picture of her in your mind. <laughs> her name was Hecht. And she was actually considered to be the wife of the creator. Now, I don't know what was happening with the creator. I don't know if he had like slim pickings when he went looking for a wife that he had to choose a woman with a frog's head. You know, I thought maybe he's tying one on in Vegas and woke up and he was married the next morning. I don't know what's going on, but he married the frog woman. Okay, that's right. We laugh because it's totally ridiculous, right? Now, the Egyptians were extremely superstitious in their worship. And so they saw this frog woman, this goddess that they worshipped to be a god of fertility. And so their practice was this. They didn't kill frogs. They, they, they held them as something sacred. And they had superstitious beliefs regarding frogs. And so because of that, they wouldn't kill frogs. Now this week I was, I was out on my deck late one night. It's like, because it's summertime. And I'm like, oh, I just love sitting out in the dark. This is awesome. And if you've been out in your yard at all this time of year and the sun goes down, you start to notice some, noise, some nighttime noises happening on the Sunshine Coast. I, I love it, the frogs, right? They're out and they're croaking and they're making their noise. And to me, it was like, I was out on the deck. I'm like, this is a familiar sound of growing up on the Sunshine Coast right here. I love this. And I was trying to get bearings thinking, I wonder where those guys are. I wonder where they're hanging out. They can't be much more than a hundred. And it didn't seem like there was a lot. But the noise from these few frogs. Now, I, I, I just, you know, imagine this. They're not out in the woods. They're not in the ditch in front of your house. 
They're in your bed. Yeah. You got to put your underwear on and you got a surprise. You know, they are in the kitchen. They are everywhere. They're slime and they're mess. And the thing is, the thing that struck me is I just thought, imagine the noise from those little creatures. Imagine the noise, and they're in your bed. You know, you're trying to sleep. This was, you know, one of the things that I hadn't considered. The, the Egyptians did not sleep. The entire time that their land was invaded with frogs, they did not sleep. And like I said, Hecht was a fertility goddess. So there was no killing these frogs in the mind of the Egyptians. And, and here, you know, they looked to this fertility goddess to be a blessing in their life. And it's interesting, what they looked to bless them became to them a burden. You know, that which they honored became a whore. That which once pleased them became a plague to them. And that's just like sin. Sin's like that. See, we love sin so many times. We love sin and we want to live for sin and we, it becomes a plague. Oh, it brought us pleasure, but it's a plague. Oh, we, we thought we'd honor it and serve it, but became a whore in our lives. It's like sin. Verse 7, it says, But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts and made frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. Now, amazing. This is the third time we've seen these sorcerers duplicate the work of Moses and Aaron. They, they threw their staffs down, and they became snakes, and Aaron's serpent swallowed them. They duplicated the miracle of the water being turned to blood. And now here again, you know, uh, they duplicate this miracle of the multiplication of frogs on the land. And it's just crazy because, you know, they don't lift the burden. You see that again about these sorcerers? They don't lift the burden. They don't drive the frogs back. They just make the problem worse. And that's just, like I said, what Satan does. He adds to the burden. Now, verse 8 says, Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice the Lord. Now, imagine, I just imagine, this guy's not slept in days. He is begging for mercy here at second plague. Plead with the Lord. This is serious. You know, he's ready already at the second plague Pharaoh is ready to give in to the Lord, to plead with it, the Lord that he would I, just get the frogs out of here and I'll let you go. Now, verse 9 says, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me. Interesting. Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. What is Moses says? He, he, what's he saying? He's saying this. You pick the time, Pharaoh. You want me to talk to God? Name the place and the date and the time, and I'll pray, and God's going to take care of this. And Pharaoh says the most bizarre answer you'll ever see in the scripture. Look what he says in verse 10. And he said, tomorrow. What? Are you serious? What a bizarre answer. I, if it's me, I'm like, right now. Get these stinking little slimy, nasty creatures out of my life and out of my house and out of my bedroom and out of my kitchen, out of my whatever. But you know, it's interesting that Pharaoh understood that the frogs needed to go, but he wanted one more night with the frogs. <laughs> and that's often how we handle our sin. 
Jesus says, name the place and the date and the time and I'll take care of it. Say one more night, Jesus. Give me one more night with my sin, Jesus. You know, some, some issue of sins, you know, that we might be struggling with our life and it's out of control and we can't rein it in and like those frogs, it's slime is on our life. You know, it stenches on our life. Um, it robs us of our sleep. It's an interesting picture. It, it's brought into the bedroom. It's brought into the home. And God offers us, he says, would you like me to take that away? No, Jesus. Well, I would, Jesus, but tomorrow. Give me, give me, I'd like just one more sleepless night with the slime and the stench of my sin before you take it away tomorrow. You know, I, I just think it's interesting. God, God never says tomorrow when he's dealing with sin. Uh, that's, what, that's what we say. We say tomorrow. We say manata, right? Is that what they say in Mexico? Later. Later, God. The Bible says this, today. Today, choose who you will serve. If it's sin and those gods, then you serve them. But if it's the Lord, you serve the Lord. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Choose this day whom you will serve. And you know, the Bible actually tells us that tomorrow has enough troubles of itself. To, to leave sin tomorrow, man, till, till tomorrow, tomorrow's got enough troubles of itself. Today, choose to serve the Lord. Verse 10 continues. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. And they shall be left in the they shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses and the cor- courtyards and the fields. See, God spoke one word and the frogs were dead. Egyptians wouldn't kill them, but God struck them dead. And, and, but the thing is, you know, it says, well, it says in verse 14, and they, they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. The land stank. The, the problem was that the frogs were dead. They were dealt with. The word of God killed them. But the carcasses, the smell, the stench, the slime was left behind. And see, long after the word of God has been spoken, that's what sin's like too. We know that, right? Jesus speaks and he says, forgiven. We say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sin. But sin leaves a stench, man. It leaves slime in our homes. It, it corrupts things in, our, in, in the bedroom and in, in the kitchen and in life and with our children. Verse 15 says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to them. Remember he said, I'll let them go already. He hardened his heart and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The word respite can actually be translated breathed. It says when Pharaoh could breathe again. Powerful picture of what's going on in this land with the stench of sin and the, the slime and the nastiness of the frogs. When he could breathe he hardened his heart against God. And we're so much like that, right? Say, really, Pharaoh? Say, yeah, God. God, ah, save me. Step in and 
help me in this situation. And God comes in and he brings relief and he sets us free. We say, oh, that's great. Okay. And we harden our hearts to the Lord. And we're going to see this dynamic throughout all the plagues where Pharaoh will harden his heart against the Lord. This means this. He will willfully uh, make his heart dull to the word of God. He will willfully act with stubbornness towards the word of God. You know, at other times we're going to see here as we get further in these plagues, we're not going to quite make it all the way through the plagues this morning. It'd be nice to get them behind us, but it's going to take a bit more time than that. At times it's going to say the Lord hardened his heart, which is a different word in the Hebrew. See, when Pharaoh hardens his heart, it's important to make this distinction. It means he dulled his heart. He made it stubborn to the Lord. But when the Lord hardened his heart, the word is, the word is this. It's he stiffened it. He put his hand on his heart and, and he made it stiff. The Lord, the Lord ag- agreed with Pharaoh in that hardness of heart and he took him further in that direction. And so here in this plague number two, the frogs, Pharaoh is essentially given a break by God and how does he respond? He doesn't glorify God. He doesn't give thanks to God, but he hardens his heart against God. And we come to the next plague, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And so they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and the dust and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast and all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Powerful picture. The Egyptians worshipped a a number of gods that were associated with the soil, that were associated with the desert, that were associated with the wind and the stirring up of the sand and the storms. Um, Interesting here, no warning. Did you see that? No warning. This is plague number three. No warning. Just says strike it and this this will happen. The dust will turn to gnats. Now we don't we don't totally know what that is. Some say it was lice. Nasty. Some say fleas. Others say ticks. I wonder, man, I wonder if it was a combination of all of the above. But miraculously, you know, they strike the dust of the earth and it transforms into these little tiny insects, gnats. And in my mind, I just see the ground almost boiling. You know, I think of a sandstorm and just the, the fleas and the nits and the, the tack, the, the ticks. And they were on man and beast. The dust changed. Verse 18 says, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God or the finger of the gods. But Pharaoh was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, the sorcerers could not, I I like the word sorcerer better because I think we take the word magician too lightly. Sometimes it's translated sorcerer. Sorcerer is a better word because these men are evil. They're, They're involved with demonic powers. They're, you know, in ranks with Satan and his hordes. And 
here they, they can't replicate the miracle of God. This was beyond their power to take dust and to transform it into insects by their secret arts. They, they can't take dust and make a flea. That's the picture. You know what the Lord did? You know what the Bible tells us the Lord did? He took dust and he formed a man. They couldn't take dust and form a flea. The Lord took dust and he formed a man after his own image. And the Bible says he breathed life into that man. And that man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit made in the image of God. That's what God, that's, see, when they say this is the finger of the gods, it's just fleas. They're not kidding around, man. See, the power of God is to take dust and make a man. And the sorcerers knew that, you know, dust of fleas is the simplest of act for the creator. It's the finger of God, the smallest of his strength. And yet with all of their dark magic, their black magic, they cannot reproduce that. And I just think, you know, I just think of the words of the psalmist. I think, who is like the Lord? Who is like you, O God? You know, God opened your eyes. God put the breath of life in your, in your lungs. His word, I was singing about it this morning, Zephaniah 3.17 says that he rejoices over us and he sings over us and he quiets our heart. You know, his, the, the psalmist said that, that in, in the day of my trouble when I couldn't see and I didn't know what to do, I called on you and you saved me. You rescued me. In my desperation, I, I called on you and you breathed into me your life and your spirit and your work. Who is like the Lord? And I would say, man, we read this and we have to hear those words. Man, oh, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 20 says, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, number four, here we go, and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. Now the Hebrew word for flies means mixtures. This isn't one type of fly. This is diverse sorts of flies. Nasty, right? You know, I think of lying in my bed at night, and one flies in my bedroom, and I'm the obsessive compulsive maniac man, right? You're probably married to one of those ladies, right? Like the fly drives you, imagine swarms of flies and they're in your house. And again, they're in the bedroom. Driving you bonkers. Now the Egyptians actually worshiped a God by the name of Omen Ra. He was depicted in this way. He had a man's body, but he had a bug's head. I actually thought I saw him the other day in Walmart. Now, the concept of Omen-Ra was this. The Egyptians looked at something in their area, because remember, they always formed their gods 
after creation. Rather than worshiping the creator who's to be served and to be praised, they look at creation and then they form the idol of their God after the things they see in the earth. And so they looked at something in the earth and they saw this. They looked at dung beetles. And you know what they do? They, they collect the goods and they roll it up into a ball. And then a dung beetle walks on its hind legs and it rolls that ball. Right? You picture that in your mind? The Egyptians said, man, that looks like the sun traveling across the sky. There must be a God. Of course, we bow, we worship Ra, who's in the sky. There must be a God that pushes the sun, pushes Ra across the sky. His name is Omen Ra, and he's obviously a bug, a dung beetle. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. That's why we can laugh, you know? Like I said, here, here are these, these, this culture that is looking to the earth to explain the universe. The psalmist said the opposite. He said, I lift my eyes to the hill and I ask myself, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He said, the Lord is your keeper in Psalm 121. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep you. See, we're, we serve Jesus. We serve the creator of the heavens and the earth. We don't look to the earth. We don't worship water, the Nile River. We look to the maker of the heavens and the earth. Now, verse 22 is very important here. It says this. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. That's where the Hebrews lived. Where my people dwell. So that no swarms of flies shall be there. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. That's what Pharaoh needed to learn. I'm the Lord. And I dwell also in the midst of the earth. I'm there. And so, you know, I would say it's kind of like this. You know, it's like the Lord is saying, let's clear up this idea of the fingers of the gods. It's not the fingers of the gods, Pharaoh. It's the finger of the God, the Lord. There's only one God, Pharaoh. There's not a polytheistic whole bunch of gods that you serve after creation. There's one God, the, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out to you a difference between my children and this world so that you know that there's one Lord, there's one God. And so the Lord made the first ever no-fly zone. <laughs> okay? Uh, verse 23. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. And there came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. And look at this. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. Now, as this begins to progress, we're going to see this next week as well. Pharaoh is going to begin to start to offer Moses a series of compromises. And this is the first one. It's satanic. Satan will do the same thing in your life. Compromise number one is this. Go sacrifice to your God, but do it here in the land. That was not the instruction of the Lord. The instruction of the Lord was, let my people go that they may worship me. And so Pharaoh offers this first compromise. He says, okay, 
You can sacrifice to your God, but do it here in the land. Satan would say, okay, you, you can follow Jesus, but don't come out of the world. You, you can live in the midst of the world. You can, you can do all your things in the world, and you, can, you don't come out of the land. You stay in the world. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. Look at Christians living in the world, living for, it's an, when we live for Jesus, the world don't like it. It's just the reality. It's the reality. He says, if we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he tells us. Now, there's some things here we're going to see that for Moses, he didn't know exactly what it was all going to look like yet, you know? The Lord's just telling him, be obedient. Deliver my word. Get my people out of there and take steps of faith and there'll be this progressive revelation. You'll learn what you're to do as you get into the wilderness. As you come out, you say, well, I, if I'm going to follow Jesus, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like if I'm going to come out of the world. The Lord says, look it. I'll square that away. You be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. Come out. Come out of the world and serve me. Come out of the world and worship me. Do it in faith. Be obedient to me and I'll lead you and I'll guide you. Now the Egyptians, Moses says, if we stay, what we do will be abominable. That's because the Egyptians um, deified their livestock. They deified cattle. They deified cows. They had a god that was a bull. They had another one that was a cow. They had another handsome fellow that was a human with a ram's head. And um, the Egyptians, actually there, there's a story in history that Josephus tells that the Egyptians were once defeated in a very decisive battle. When they met their enemy, their enemy did this. They sent a herd of cattle before them. And the Egyptians were so superstitious that they wouldn't hurt the cattle. They wouldn't kill the cattle. And they were defeated and routed by this foreign army because of st stupid superstition. Okay? So you can imagine their response to the Israelites if, the, if the, the Hebrew children began to worship God and they started performing sacrifice, cattle, rams, sheep, uh, to the Lord, they would have brought on themselves the wrath of the Egyptian people. And so Moses says, look, we have to go three days. We have to come out from you. We have to come out of the world. We, we, don't, we don't know exactly what God requires us, but we have to go. That's obedience. That's what he said. And you know, it's like us. Look, you can't stay in the world and worship. You got to come out. Verse 28. So Pharaoh said, I'll let you go to sacrifice. Here's compromise number two. I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me, then he says. He says, you can go, don't go far. Okay, that's, that's the next compromise. It's like this, don't be a fanatic, man. Don't be a Jesus freak. You know, Satan would say to you, look, you could follow Jesus, sure, leave the world, just don't go far, man. Don't go too far. Don't get too crazy and you're following the Lord. You should probably try to walk as close to the world as you can. You know, look like the world, smell like the world, walk like an Egyptian, 
look like an Egyptian. Uh, just don't go too far. Look at when we follow Jesus, the goal is not to see how close we can walk to the line of the world. We, the goal is not to just go, well, we're not going to go too far. Look at with Jesus, he wants everything. All or nothing. Go all the way with the Lord. Then Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you. I, I like that, just that picture. Moses, he's, he's singular in his focus. Uh, that's the key to the life of faith. He's singular in his focus. He, did, he says, I've ditched the, world, the mentality of the world, man. I'm following Jesus. I'm ditching that. And he continues in that verse, it says in 29, And I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. <laughs> Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. Look, when you're fighting with issues of compromise, you say, man, I'm wrestling with the world and I'm wrestling to follow Jesus and I don't know if this is compromise in my life and I don't know what to do. Look at, leave Pharaoh and go to the place of prayer. We see this with Moses time and time again. Remember we saw it a number of weeks back when, when Pharaoh put down a heavier hand of slavery on the people. The, the foreman went to Pharaoh and they begged for mercy. Moses went to the Lord and he prayed. And this is the, the model for us too. Leave Pharaoh when he says, come on, compromise with me. When Satan's saying, come on, let's compromise. Just get out of there, man. Like Joseph, run. And go like Moses to the place of prayer and call on the Lord. And verse 31 says, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh and his servants and from his people. Not one remained. That is a miracle. Swarms of flies, not one remained. Verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, fifth plague, the livestock, Egyptian livestock. Verse nine. Verse nine, chapter nine. Sorry, chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord. I love this picture. If you read the devotional that we sent out, I sent out last night, I love this picture. Because before they said, they identified, this is the finger of God. The Lord says, eh, you ain't gonna, we're not going to be dealing with my finger anymore. You let my people go, I'm going to put my hand on you. And that's a scary thing for the Lord to put his hand upon you in, in judgment. Behold, think about it. The hand of the Lord will fall with very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Now, like I mentioned, the Egyptians worshipped a god who was in the form of a bull. His name was Apis, and they fashioned one after a cow named Hathor, and they had a god with a ram's head named Ammon. And, of course, 
What's going on in these judgments again is God is bringing judgment against the gods of Egypt. He is, and in that, he is turning the hearts of his own people from idolatry. Okay, the, the Israelites were involved with the worship of some of these gods and they needed to see God's judgment against some of these things. Now it's interesting, they're gonna come out of the land, they're gonna cross the Red Sea, they're gonna go to the Mount Sinai and in an act of rebellion, they're gonna, form, they're gonna fashion a an image of God and what are they gonna form it in? A golden calf. Here's your connection. Back to the land of Egypt. Now I guess... The Lord's touching the livestock. One of the things that we have to consider is that in those days, one of the ways you measured a man's wealth was by how? His flocks, his herds, uh, his cattle, the number of his livestock. And so God is doing this. He says, look, you're not going to listen to me. We're going to have a stock market crash. I'm going to put my hand upon the economy and I'm going to take your riches I'm going to take your wealth. And so God is messing with the economy here, okay? He is trying to get the people's attention. And you know what's interesting? We go, okay, it's a, it's a, what's the sign of the New York Stock Exchange? The bull, right? The bull market. We can worship the economy. We can worship money. We can worship the God of mammon. And God says, you want to worship that? I'll mess with that idol. I'll show you that I'm God. And so he's messing with the economy to get the people's attention. In verse five, it says, and the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing and all the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And the Lord sent and behold, not one of the, sorry, and Pharaoh sent and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. So Pharaoh actually sends representatives from himself to the land of Goshen where the Hebrew children are. And sure enough, there, none of their stuff is touched. None of their livestock, their economy isn't crunched where the Egyptian one is affected. Now I just think about that. It's like he sends it. You know, it's hard to go through difficulty in life, right? And what sucks is when you're going through hard stuff and then you look at somebody else and they're not going through hard stuff. It's frustrating. When you look around and you go, man, I have trouble in my life. How come they don't have trouble in their lives? We know that experience. And Pharaoh's having that realization. Wait a minute. I have trouble in my life and they serve God. Life's not perfect for them. But in this area, they have respite. God's not touching that area in their life that he's touching in my life. But that realization wasn't enough for Pharaoh. Still, he dulled his heart to the Lord. He, he made it hard and he refused to let the people go. Verse 8, sixth plague, no warning, here it comes. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln. Let Moses throw them into the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and, the boi and, boil and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So here's a plague, no warning. Now, little known fact about Egypt. Don't glorify this and all the things that 
history and archaeology glorifies about Egypt. The Egyptians practiced human sacrifice. This is a reference to that, the kilns. He says, you go to the kilns. See, the priests had kilns where they would offer to their gods human sacrifice and they would burn them and they would do this. They would take the ashes from that sacrifice and they'd toss them into the wind because they served gods of wind. They served different gods that they believed held the keys to health. And so they would throw these ashes of their sacrifices into the wind and wherever the wind would blow it and whoever it blew upon, they would say this, the blessing of the gods is upon you. Health to you. And so God says, you, you go and we're going to show these guys, I don't want, I, human sacrifice ain't cool with me. Take those ashes from their kilns uh, and we're going to turn this practice upside down. We're going to slap these Egyptian gods in the face. Take the ashes from the kiln, from the furnace, throw them into the air and disease will break out on the whole nation. And he, and he says, do it before Pharaoh. Make sure Pharaoh sees it. No warning. Take the ashes. Boom. Here we go. Verse 10. So they took silt from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it into the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. There's still animals alive. You know, just because there's a stock market crash. Um, in fact, that last plague where he attacked the livestock, it says those that were in the field. So those that were in their barns and in safe places were okay. Somehow God made a distinction there. So there's animals now affected by this plague. Human beings and animals. Verse 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. What a picture. Here's these guys where there's been power encounter, power encounter, power encounter. Okay, we can't match this. This is the finger of God. God says, forget my finger, I'm putting my hand upon you. Now these guys that were these powerful sorcerers and figures in Egypt, themselves are so covered with boils, they cannot come before Moses. Verse 12, chapter 9. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. First time we see this here. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Interesting. It's interesting if you tie it to the fact this is an issue of human sacrifice. God says, man, you dulling your heart's not enough. You want to sacrifice humans? I'm going to deal with you. I'll harden your heart. I don't want you burning people in kilns to your gods. And I want you to let my people go. And so the Lord stiffened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would continue in this path. Plague number seven. Having a good time? <laughs> it's crazy pictures, but it's, it's powerful. The hail. Verse 13, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send the plagues on you yourself. You might notice in your Bible, depending on what Bible you have, there might be a little number there or a little letter. And it will point you to the bottom of the page. And it's a, it, it points you to a different translation that could potentially be there. Instead of on you yourself, it could say, on your heart. I will send this on your heart. And just what's happening here is there's going to be a terror that's going to come upon the heart of Pharaoh. It's not going to be something outward this time. God says, I'm going to, I'm going to touch your heart and you're going to be scared before me. Okay?
Verse 14, for this time I'll send my plagues on you yourself, on your heart, and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Romans chapter 9 deals with this. I encourage you to say, man, I wonder where I should go read this afternoon, you know, if I'm going to have some quiet. Go to Romans chapter 9 because Paul touches on this idea. It's, it's an incredible picture. The Lord says, look, Pharaoh, I raised you up for my purposes, for my power, for my glory. The Bible says that the Lord raises up every king and queen and president and prime minister. There's no accidents. The Lord raises them up and he has one purpose in all of them, that his name would be glorified, that his power would be proclaimed. And these kings and queens and presidents and whoever it might be can do that or they can do what Pharaoh did. The, the problem Pharaoh had, look at verse 17. Here's the problem Pharaoh had. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Look, a king, a queen who exalts himself against the people of God is putting himself in a very dangerous place, I would say. And it shows you the heart of Pharaoh. He's exalting himself. The Lord likes a humble heart. He's a, a humble and contrite heart. The Lord says, I will not despise. Pharaoh is exalting himself. Ignoring with blatant disobedience the command of God. Ignoring with blatant disobedience the word of God to let the people go. So in verse 18, Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause, let me wrap it up pretty quick here. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from this day, from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. That's because even in judgment, there's mercy. So the Lord gives them a warning. Get it into shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought into a home will die when the, fa when the hail falls on them. Um, and so here's this opportunity. You know, take heed to my warning. Bring your livestock in. Bring your slaves in. Get them out of the weather because if you leave them out, they're, they're, they are going to die if they're outdoors. You can save them from this judgment if you choose to act. Verse 20, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. Holy smokes, man. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Now the Egyptians, again, they had a sky god and a sky goddess. Horus was the sky god. He was in the form of a falcon. Uh, the goddess, her name was Nut. 
I don't know what that says about her. But she was actually considered the mother of two other Egyptian uh, gods, Osiris and Seth, the gods of chaos and the gods of vegetation. So you got chaos happening here, thunder, hail, fire. You have all the vegetation being destroyed. Okay? They also had a wind god named Shu. I mean, I prefer just to put those on my feet rather than worship them. The Lord is bringing his judgment against all of these gods. In fact, the word thunder there, thunder is translated this way. It's translated thunder in English. In Hebrew, it just means this. Yahweh made noises. (laughs) Remember, I'm going to touch your heart on this one, Pharaoh. I'm going to make noise, man. There's going to be noise from heaven. You've aroused me. I'm going to move. And it's going to strike your heart with terror. Jehovah's going to make noises, Pharaoh. Verse 24. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Get this. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel are, there was no hail. So there's this distinction again between the world and the people of God. And it's, I I just, wouldn't it, it'd be so cool to be there to see what was there, a line in the sky? Here's Egypt and here's Goshen. Force field? Were they bouncing? I don't know. What, What was happening? Verse 27. The Lord sent and called, sorry, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I sinned. The Lord is right. And I and my people are wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there has been enough of God's thunder. See, he says thunder first. Wasn't the hail getting him. It was the thunder that was freaking the snot out of Pharaoh. I like that. Freaking the snot. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. See, the, yeah, like I said, this plague touched his heart. And, and he, as he asked for relief, he's like, Man, there's noise going on. And this noise is putting terror in my heart. Plead with God. I'm freaked out. No, Yahweh's making noises. And for the first time, uh, Pharaoh confesses sin. Did you see that? The thing is, is um, he made an admission of sin, but there's not repentance from sin. Those are two different things. To admit sin and to repent of sin, that's two different things. See, you can admit your guilt and never repent. I think probably, you know, Canadian prisons are full of people that say, yeah, I mean, I did it. You can admit guilt and never repent. Pharaoh says, this time. See, this time, I'm wrong. What? You don't think you sinned before? You don't think it was just this time? You've been sinning against God and standing against his word here the whole time. This isn't one time. This isn't just, don't pretend you're repenting here. This is just some admission of guilt. You know, the New Testament word for repentance is a very powerful word. It's metaneo. It's Greek. And it means this, you change your mind. When you repent, you change your mind. You change your thinking. 
See, Pharaoh admitted his, his guilt. He might have even felt bad for what he'd done. But that's not the biblical definition of repentance, feeling bad of sin. To repent is to change your mind so as to turn away from it, to leave it behind. In fact, in repentance, we're called to turn from sin. I repent, I turn from sin, and in faith, I turn to Jesus, and I get out of there. I follow him in faith. I repent from sin, and I turn 180 degrees to Jesus, and I follow him. And so, you know, Satan would say, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, man. You can live in Egypt. You can hang in the world, you know. This time, you know, this time you sinned. You can hang out here. So you might say, no, you say, no, I, I want to follow Jesus. And say, whoa, don't go too far, man. Let's not get fanatical here. Don't be one of those Jesus freaks. You can live in close proximity to the world. You, you, you could dabble. You could keep your fingers in Egypt. Look at repentance is to change your mind about sin and in one motion turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And my friends, when you make a decision for Jesus, this world is not your home anymore. You're a sojourner. You're an alien. You're passing through. You live for another king in another kingdom, one that is not of this world. And as the old hymn sings, you know, there's no turning back. I, I'm, I've decided to follow Jesus. In the old life, and all that it has to offer is nothing. It's nothing in light of worshiping Jesus. So let's read through here to we'll get to the end here. Verse 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease. And there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. I, I love this because Moses is finding boldness in the Lord. That is a comment of a man who's undergoing character change right there. Oh, my lips are uncircumcised. I'm whining like a baby. Remember him? Not now. So I know Pharaoh. He's confronting the man. Verse 31 says, The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. Again, there is mercy and judgment because not all of the food source is ruined here. Um, but it also gives us a bit of a time frame. This is, this is now February. If these things are coming out of the ground in Egypt, it's February. And so, you know, we wonder what's the time frame on this whole scene? Well, we're like 10 months into these judgments coming upon Egypt. You say, well, was it seven days, seven days and over quick? 10 months, man. 10 months. Verse 33. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again. And hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. The thunder ceases, the hail ceases, the rain stops, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. He gets his relief, and he turns his heart against God. 
You know, I think this text just says this to us. It's really simple. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart to the Lord. The Lord loves you. I'm going to invite Mary and Beth to come, and they're going to cruise up here. And in a, in a moment, we're going, to, we're going to have communion together. That clock's wrong up there this morning. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to have communion together. And um, communion's really beautiful because communion's an act by which we, it's not, we're not about religion, okay? We're saved by the sole work of Christ on the cross and turning from our sin and turning in faith to him. It's a gift of grace. We're saved by faith. The danger is that we'd always add works. This is not a work. This is not a religious service. This is not some religious action. This is a command of the scripture by where God, God ordained it. And he said, I want my people to remember the cross. I want my people to take time and to consider their sin and to think about the blood that was shed and the body that was broken on their behalf. And then I want them to come and to eat and to drink. I, I want them to recognize that when they drink and when they eat, they're saying, Jesus, my life, I have found life. I live. My sustenance is in you and in the work you did on the cross. See, as those who have called, been called out of Egypt, called out of the world, serve God, um, there's, there's something else that we live on. It's not food, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, the scripture says. And so this is an acknowledgement. Lord, I live on the basis of what you accomplished for me. And, and so when we come to the Lord's table, it's this act where we say, Jesus, let your life come and give me life. And it's this public act that we do together as a church. It's awesome. I love it. I've been so looking forward to it this morning. And so this morning, Murray and Beth are going to lead us in some songs of worship. And as, as your heart is prepared and you feel ready to go, this is what we do at CTK. We just come up. We, we take the communion elements, the cup and the bread, and we take them back to our seats. And we wait until everyone's had a chance to do that. And then we partake together. All right? And so I'm going to invite you to do this. Let's stand this morning. Stand with me. And we're going to sing to the Lord. Maybe you're here and, and you don't know Jesus Christ. You say, man, this is new to me. Church is new to me. I'm not sure. This whole deal. Um, but I'm really interested. I, I want to serve God. I want to turn from my sin and I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to come out from the world and make that cut. The act of communion is something that I would encourage you to do by faith then this morning. Say, Jesus I want my life to be identified with your life. I want you to give me life. And so I'm going to come and participate with the people of God and take those things. And so this morning, as we worship, as your heart's prepared, I encourage you to just come up and take the communion elements, all right? Let's sing together. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in 
Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God. God, worthy is your name. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'll be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus. My cross, my shame, I think of God, I bless your name, worthy you are my is your name. When I fall down, you pick me up, when I am dry, you fill my cup, you are my all I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? 
amazing love I know it's true and it's my joy to honor you in all I do may I honor you Jesus, this morning we thank you for your blood that was shed, Lord. We thank you uh, for your body that was broken. God, we recognize that Moses was a deliverer for the people in the land of Egypt, but he said, one like me will come. And we recognize, Jesus, that you're not just the deliverer of one people from one land, but you're the deliverer of all people from this world. And Jesus, we look to you, our Savior. We look to you uh, to redeem us, to set us free. And Jesus, we thank you for the blood that was shed and your body that was broken for our sin. Uh, Jesus, we recognize and acknowledge that you were crucified, that you died, that you were buried, but that you rose again and ascended into heaven. And Father, we look back and we consider those things, but we also look forward, as your word tells us to do, to the fact that you are coming again. And so, God, we thank you for the Lord's Supper by which we can look back and look forward and thank you for your work in our lives. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your blood that purchased us, that redeemed us, that set us free from sin and death. We thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken and bruised and beaten so that we might be healed. Lord, I pray this morning that even as we partake and acknowledge your body that was broken, that by your spirit you would heal people this morning, that you'd heal their emotions, that you'd heal their thinking, that you'd bring spiritual healing, that you'd bring physical healing upon their bodies, Lord as we acknowledge the cross. And so, Jesus, this morning, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your body. We remember that it was broken, Lord, and we partake of this bread together. Let's partake. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed on that cross, Lord. It all spilt out. And with it, you purchased men. Jesus, we thank you for saving us with your blood, with pur for purchasing us, for redeeming us from sin and death. Wash us this morning in your blood, Lord. Let's partake of the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, you're coming again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.